morning. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, I encourage you to listen to the message online. It's, uh, it's on our website at newcommunityfs.com. Um, it's also a podcast. So if you have iTunes and you, you podcast, if you search for New Community Glendora, you'll be able to find it on, on iTunes and you can subscribe to it. There, that way the messages just kind of download themselves and you're ready to go. Um, But if you didn't miss last week, please take the time uh, this week to check it out, to listen to it. I believe you'll be blessed. It will also help some of what we talk about this morning make sense. I'm going to recap just a little bit. Um, I don't want to spend, I I can get stuck on the recap sometimes. I get so excited about what God is saying that I just want to say it again. And I'm like, I don't have time to re-preach because there's something else that God wants to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we started out talking about calling. Calling. Which I believe, I've grown up in the church, and and the word calling uh, can evoke different kinds of responses. Emotional responses, uh, kind of a thinking response. What does that mean? For some people, uh, when you say the word calling, there's kind of a a fear that comes over them. Like, oh no, we're going to talk about calling. I've got to figure out what that is. Or for some people, some people, it's just simply the fact that I hope I'm not missing my calling. For some people, it's just like this nebulous kind of out there concept, like there's this calling on my life and I have to figure out what, what it is and, and it's so hard to do. Well, calling is really that thing that God's deposited in each one of us. Even reading out of Jeremiah 29, 11 this morning, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's what calling is. It's those things that God's already put in you that he's calling out of you. He's put it in you already. It's already there. And God, I mentioned this last week, he's not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek. Going, uh, let's see if they can figure this one out. Right? You're getting hotter. No, you're getting cold. No, that's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of God. And I've got to tell you, There's a lot of churches and there's a lot of pastors and a lot of sermons that have been preached that would lead us to believe that's the way that God treats us. Or that calling is just for a certain few. Pastors are called, missionaries are called, but just me, just little old me, no, I'm just here along for the ride. And hopefully I can get some of the, the leftovers. God says, no, you are called, you are a son and daughter. So we're looking at calling in in light of our vision as a church. I want to connect these two, and I want there to be no confusion or no mistake as to the fact that you finding your calling is that what we're committed to as a church. That's, That's really why we exist. The reason I'm here, the reason I get to pastor this church, as Ephesians chapter 4 says, is to help you not only find your calling, but then to walk in it, to be equipped to walk that calling out. So the vision of new community, we get that up on the screen, says this. We exist as as a church to be a faith community who lives the gospel in such a way that people come to first know God, grow as disciples, serve like Jesus, and then go into all the world to reach others for Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. New Community Glendora, that's what we're about. We're about. That's why we exist. So last week we talked about knowing God. Talked about knowing God. We talked about your divine alignment and the fact that you can't know your calling if you don't know God. 
There's no way that the cross, what we celebrated at communion this morning, opened the door, opened the way for you to discover your calling. If you don't know God, you don't know your calling. There's no way around that. We have to understand our calling in light of eternity. That God is an eternal being. That he has always existed and he will always exist. But the reality is we are eternal as well. And so often we can get stuck thinking in the temporal that this life becomes the beginning and the end of everything. And God says, no, you're eternal. And that your work here on earth, you walking out your calling affects your eternity. God is the author of your calling. So we need to know God and be aligned with him, but we also need to understand this, that when you know God, you can know your calling. And you will discover not just the divine alignment, but there's a divine assignment. That he marks out a race. We talked about the Ironman triathlon and how there's a beginning and an end. And in between, there's a grueling race. But if you get to the end, you finish, you cross that finish line, you get a prize. And Paul says to us, run the race marked out for you. By who? By God. You don't mark out your own race. Can I say that again? You don't mark out your own race. It's been marked out. God knew the race he had marked out for you before you were born. Our job is to figure out what that race is. All right? And finished last week with this, that we will all give an account of our lives. Now, one day we will stand before a judgment seat. Not the judgment seat of whether or not you know Jesus and whether you go to heaven or you go to hell. That is a real thing. And that we will stand at that, that judgment seat. But there's a second judgment seat. It's called the Bema seat. And it's for believers. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for the, for the person who knows Jesus and has walked with Jesus. And the judgment seat, the Bema seat, will essentially be this. You will be judged on what you did with your life. How you walked out your calling. And this is a point where I believe that the church has been mistaught. Where we start thinking, well, you just got to do good things. If, you just, if you're just kind and nice and you're a good Christian and you go to church and you tithe and you love people, that you, you're good. But you know that scripture doesn't actually say that. The Bible says that you have a call on your life. You're called to walk out that calling. And when you stand before the Bema seat, before that judgment seat, you won't be judged according to what you did. You'll be judged according to what God called you to do it's a big difference now i gotta say this there's there's a part of me that hears that i even say those words and there's a little tension inside of me like (gasps) can i just say right now the grace of god is bigger than that but we can't miss and we can't lose the fact that there is a tension otherwise we'll just coast and we'll be comfortable christians and god's not called us to be comfortable He's called us to walk out the things he's, he's called us to be conquerors. And conquerors are never comfortable. He's called us to take back ground and territory from the enemy. So we will be judged according to what our calling is, not according to what we did. So we're going to pick it up from there. Because if we had to leave it at that point, it'd be kind of a bummer. Like, okay, now what? What do I do from there? Well, we want to talk this morning about the next point, which is grow. 
Know God first, and then the second thing that has to happen is you need to grow as a follower of Jesus. You need to grow. It's the thing that unlocks and opens up the next steps in your calling. I had someone come to me once. I was pastoring a church up in Alaska, and a lady, a dear lady in our church um, came to me. Her and her husband had been pastors for years, and he had since gone to be with the Lord, and she was coming to our church, and after service, she came up to me and said, Pastor Barry, I just need you to tell me what to do. Just tell me what, what I'm supposed to do. I thought, wow, here's someone who's walked with the Lord for so long, yet understanding for her even the, the ability that she has to go to the Lord and hear from him for herself was, was missing. I said, I can't, I can't tell you what to do. I can pray with you. I can seek the Lord, and I'm happy to do this with any of you, but it's not my job to tell you what your calling is. It's your job to hear what that is from the Lord. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want us to discover and find out how we can know what that calling is and then start walking that out. This is our anchor passage for the series. We're going to keep referring back to this. Um, I want to encourage you during the week, spend some time rereading this passage. It's a good one. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of meat. Be a part of a life group because we're covering this. We had great discussion on Tuesday night in, in our life group talking about uh, this passage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You are still worldly. And when he says that, by the way, just parenthetically here real quick, when Paul says you're worldly, we, we've, we've adopted this definition of worldly as being sinful, right? Oh, you're in the world. Ooh, right? <laughs> Last night, Halloween. Oh, don't be of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. Blah. <laughs> we say stuff that you're like, what does that even mean? Can you explain to me biblically what that means? No. I just heard it somewhere. When Paul says worldly, what he's saying is you're thinking like a temporal creature, not an eternal one. That's all he means. Now, there's things that affect this world for sure, but he's thinking bigger, okay? So when you see the, world, the, the word worldly, that's what Paul is talking about. Think about it as an eternal person, which is what he means when he says mere, pe- mere men here in a minute. You are still worldly, for since there is a jealousy, is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he nor who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. 
And he's excited about that, by the way. But each one of you should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, and that day is the, judge, the day of judgment, capital D day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Him, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Father God, bring your word to life this morning. Speak to us. Illuminate our hearts and our minds, our spirits. Cause us, Lord, to understand the word you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is all going somewhere. Not the, not the sermon. That is too, hopefully. Wow, that was, that was awkward. Um, <laughs> the sermon is definitely going somewhere. But this life is leading us. You know, we, we're so concerned about living in the moment, aren't we? We live for the moment. In our culture especially, what, ha- what makes me happy now How do we know that? Well, consider credit card debt. I'm not willing to save up for something because I want it now. It's epidemic. We live in a moment. And whatever way the wind blows, whatever whimsy comes or goes, I just kind of roll with it. And I suggest this morning that we're not supposed to live in the moment. We're supposed to live for a moment. And that moment is that day where we will stand before God. Because it realigns every decision we make. If I'm living for the moment that I will stand before my Lord, before my Creator, before my God, before my Savior, and give an account for my life, it changes the priorities of my life in the moment. For the moment will change in the moment. There's an element of discipline and self-control that exists in the believer that has to be there so that we can have that long-term perspective. Today we're talking about growing. In our, in our vision statement, in our purpose, that word grow, we say grow as disciples. Grow as disciples. And we're called as a church body to not just know God, but we're then called to grow as disciples. That getting in through the gate isn't just enough. That knowing God isn't just your get to, tech, tick, get to heaven free ticket. By the way, it wasn't free. There was a price that was paid, right? But it's not just about getting the ticket. It's about growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says that. God's desire for you is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. That the purpose and the goal of your life is this, that you would look more like Jesus every day. And can I tell you, if that's your focus, if that's your commitment, then worrying about your calling becomes a non-issue. Because you will discover your calling as you grow as a disciple. And so it doesn't have to be a fearful thing. It doesn't have to be a wondering thing. Can I tell you, if there is any fear in your heart, probably the thing that you need to look at is how closely am I walking with Jesus? See, because when you walk with Jesus, you will do crazy, radical things. 
The disciples did. Fishermen standing on the shore, and Jesus walks up and he says, listen, leave everything you know, your life, your comfort, your future, your investments, your father, and follow me. And scripture says that immediately, immediately they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. And they started walking in their calling. Was it an easy road? No, just read about the life of Peter. Mistake after mistake after mistake. But he walked closely with Jesus. And in the midst of that, God transformed his life and he did radical things for the kingdom of God. God's heart is the same for you. So we have to grow we have to grow. God wants you to grow. Can I say that again? God's desire is that you would grow as a disciple. He's not, he's not, it's not like even a hope, like, oh, I really hope they get. He's like cheering you on. He's cheering, going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. How do I know that God wants you to grow? Well, Psalm chapter 1, verse, three, uh, verse 1 through 3 says this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What does that mean? You're walking with Jesus. Okay? And on his law, he meditates day and night. So what's this guy like? The man or the woman that walks with Jesus, well, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Listen to this. Whatever he does prospers. Oh, that's good. Whatever he does prospers. When you grow by walking with Jesus, you will prosper in every part of your life. In every part of your life. Now listen, it might not look the way you expect it to look. The disciples prospered, but it wasn't in fishing. Because they were more committed to walking with Jesus than they were to God meeting their perceived needs. I made this statement this last week. That comfortable Christianity leads us to believe that God serves us, not the other way around. God does not exist to serve you. And any kind of gospel, any kind of preaching that says that God just, he is, his sole purpose is just to make your life better, God will mess you up. (laughs) He will mess your life up. He will turn things up. And don't take that the wrong way. But God will meddle and he will, he will take the comfortable things in your life and turn them upside down. You're like, great, this is a great sermon. I'm really glad I came today. But he will cause you to walk in such a way that whatever you do will prosper. Whatever you do when you're walking with Jesus will prosper. And whatever you try and do apart from Jesus, you will strive and struggle and it will not go well. And you might meet some success and then meet some failure and success and failure and you're back and forth. And Paul says, oh, wait, you're like, it's like you're in a storm getting tossed back and forth. Ephesians chapter 4, why do we want to be equipped? So that we're not tossed back and forth. You see how this all fits together? God's so good. He's so good. Whatever. Do you want to prosper? Just raise your hand if whatever you do, you want it to prosper, right? I'd say that's pretty good. That's a pretty good representation there. So where do you need to be planted? 
by streams of water. Now, you're not planted in the river, are you? You're not planted in the river. You're planted in the soil on the banks of the river where the roots can reach down and get what they need. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 13 says this. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Whenever in Scripture you see cedar of Lebanon, it was the, it was the biggest, strongest tree they had. When they refer to the cedars, it's like, you're awesome. That's amazing. Look at the person next to you and say, you are awesome. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> Let's try that again. All right, on three, just look at the person next to you and say, you are awesome. One, two, three. All right. (laughs) They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Listen to this. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Where does the believer need to be planted? In the house of the Lord. I tell you what, there's pastors and preachers and churches and denominations that are trying to be sensitive to people and say, listen, you just come to church when you feel like it. If you're not too busy. Can I just tell you right now, you need to be planted in the house of the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's this house or another house. I'll speak about that in a minute. But you need to be planted in the house of the Lord. Because this, the church, this body is what God has designed for you so that you can walk in your calling and grow as a disciple of Jesus. You need to be planted in the house of the Lord. So, so I brought along this morning a fruit basket. We've got, I think, some, some cantaloupe and watermelon and some bananas and oranges and some apples. I was praying about this message. We're going to talk about fruit and we're going to talk about gifts. I'm not going to get to it all today, which means you've got to be back next week, okay? I'm going to tease you a little bit. We're going to talk about fruit today and we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, hopefully next week we'll see how we go on timing. I think, I think we'll get there. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And the Lord gave me a picture of a fruit basket because what we have here is fruit in the form of a gift, Right, if someone gives you a gift basket with fruit in it, right? And I was, I got excited. I was by myself in my office, and I was like, "Oh, that's good." So, what, so what people need to be on the receiving end is of is the fruit. What God wants to do is produce fruit in your life, in keeping with repentance, right? That I'm constantly changing my mind and aligning myself with Him, and 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 they need fruit, right? Tim, you want an apple? There you go. So they'll be on the receiving end of fruit. No, I need it back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, there, so we understand fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're going to read that in Galatians in a minute. It's taken me 41 years to memorize that, by the way. <laughs> Fruit's good. And some people will emphasize you could just go to be about the fruit. Well, and then there's some people who go, it's about the gifts. It's just about the gifts. You've got to practice the gifts. And you know that the fruit is the fruit, and you can't change the fruit, and we love fruit. That the gifts are like the basket. That the gifts become the fruit delivery mechanism. Right? Isn't that good? I was like, I've been, I've been in Pentecostal church all my life. 
And that helped me. I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. And this simple picture helped me understand how the fruit and the gifts work together. That the basket becomes the fruit delivery mechanism. But can I tell you, you would never give someone an empty basket. Right? And there's so many places and so many churches and so many ministries, what they're doing is giving out baskets with no fruit. And people are going, what is this? What am I supposed to do with this? Right? I have a collection of baskets at home. I don't need another basket. I really need some sustenance. Paul talks about this over and over and over in the Word of God. In the New Testament, he's like, listen, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to the verse. I'm going to cut this apple open real quick. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a honey crisp, which... I, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't like mushy apples. Uh, you know, what's it, red delicious? Ugh, they just get kind of mealy. Not good. So, so in the inside of an apple, what are you going to find? Right? You know, see, you can't really see it. See apple seed? It's kind of little. We're, I have a picture of an apple seed nice and close up. It's an apple seed. Let me ask you this. This is... Uh, it's going to be a complicated question, so put your thinking hats on. If you plant an apple seed, where are you going to get? Actually, technically you're not, but eventually you'll get apples, right? If you plant an apple seed, you're going to expect to get a tree that produces apples. You're not going to get a... Is that apple good? He just tore right into that guy. I, uh, you're not going to get a tree that produces bananas, or oranges, you're not going to see one of these hanging on an apple tree. It's not going to happen, okay? God's designed it that way. But now if I took this seed and I planted it in the ground, what's going to happen? Well, the right kind of conditions, the right soil, the right pH, the right nutrients, the right temperature. I, I did some study on apple trees this week. It's really cool. I think God designed things in nature, not just so we can enjoy a good apple, but because he wants to understand, uh, us to understand kingdom truth through everything Romans says that's been created, that we can see his glory. That's another sermon. Okay, you plant a seed in the ground, the right conditions. An apple seed actually has to go through one winter in the ground. And the temperature needs to be around 40 degrees, which is why we don't see a lot of apple trees here in California. The apple trees that get planted here are ones that are propagated somewhere else. It's a big word. And get replanted here. But if you go up to Washington, you'll find a lot of apples. Why? Because the temperature is right. An apple seed has to stay in the ground through an entire winter. So if you put a seed in the ground, it's going to be months before you have a tree. Well, actually, you're not going to have a tree, are you? See, what's going to happen is under the ground in that soil, there's going to be pressure exerted on this seed. And temperature and forces, cold and hot. There's going to be chemicals, or, I mean, uh, nutrients rather, that are going to be introduced that are going to cause this little seed to come to life. See, because everything that's inside of this seed is the DNA for producing a tree that will produce more fruit and more, more apples, right? It's all there. It's already in it. It just has to be called out. 
So the sea goes into the ground and and the temperature, the pH, all of this stuff is happening. And what happens? You end up with this. Do you see the apples? No, because there aren't any apples. It's just a little sprout. It moves into the sprout phase. And at this point, it's really susceptible to frost, to bugs, animals eating it. And so at this stage, you're protecting what's just sprouted out of the ground. What you don't see Right Out of this little seed, there's the sprout coming through the ground, but there's also a root that starts pushing down. So it's growing in two directions. Well, it doesn't stop there. It keeps going, and then the next thing you get is this. You get a little seedling. A little seedling. It goes from a little sprout to a seedling. Now you can tell, oh, there's little leaves there. It's starting to unfurl a little bit. The, if you cut, cut below the surface, you'd see a few more roots getting established right? Still making sure that it's in the right ground. Well, it keeps going beyond this and becomes a sapling. That's a sapling. Still, you see any fruit? No fruit. But you can see that there's a trunk. Now you're like, it's not a plant, it's going to be a tree because the trunk is starting to form and there's little branches starting to give way. The roots now are really pushing deep. The roots are getting established the seed stage, you know, if you're propagating seeds, you might have a little greenhouse. You might have a place where you, you start them in a tray, and then you'll transplant them. At this stage, the tree gets planted in what will be the orchard. You can see other trees around it. And now that the roots start pushing deeper and deeper, and eventually you become a young tree. Like this, that's a young apple tree. What do you see? You see apples. <laughs> you see apple pie. <laughs> Now this tree is at a place where it can start producing apples. Why? Because there's a trunk and there's branches that can support the weight of the apples. Apples are heavy. Not only that, the root structure now pushes way down into the ground. In fact, when you plant an apple tree, at this stage you only have to water it every six to eight weeks. Because the roots have pushed down so far that they're drawing the moisture up from the ground and so it doesn't really need the, the water to come from the top anymore. When it's a sapling and when it's, when it's a baby tree, young tree, it ne- or, or a, a seedling, it needs water constantly because the roots don't have what they, ta- what they need, what it takes to actually grow. And then finally you end up with this. Nice established. See all the red on that? It might be a little small to see, but there are, that tree is full of amazing apples. And every one of those apples has seed in it. This is the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what God has deposited in you. Your calling is a seed that's been deposited in your life. Before you were born, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, as the psalmist says, that God knew the plans he had for you. There was a seed deposited in you. Before you even came to Jesus, there was a seed in you. And the potential of everything that God has for you was already in you. But you have to be planted. You have to be established. You have to be rooted. See, because here's the thing about apple trees. What, what, What will limit an apple tree? I was like, okay, so we see the way to do it. Well, here's the things that will stop an apple tree from growing or producing fruit even if it grows into a full-size tree. There's there's a way to 
cause that tree to grow that big and for there never, never to be an apple to appear on it. And I thought that was really cool. First of all, if you put, an, put the seed in the wrong soil, it'll, it'll never germinate. It will never sprout. It will never become a tree. The wrong soil uh, is detrimental. And so being in the right soil is important. Let's carry that over to the picture of the church being established or planted in the house of the Lord. You've got to be a part of a church that preaches the Bible. You've got to be a part of a church that says there's only one way to salvation, that's through Jesus Christ. Anything else is fake, it's false, it's bad soil, and you will never grow. Right? You've got to make sure that what you're hearing from the pulpit lines up with the Word of God. You've got to make sure you're pressing in and you're understanding and I could spend a lot of time talking about bad soil, but we're not going to do that because I don't want to end up going, well, this kind of church and that kind of church. But we know that there's churches out there and there's gospels that are preached that are not in accordance with the Word of God. You've got to be in good soil. My job as a pastor is to make sure that the soil we have in your community is good soil for you to be planted in. If there are no nutrients in the soil, the seed will not germinate. The right nutrients have to be, be present. Same thing in the church. Again, the word of God. There has to be food. Paul says to the Corinthian church, you were babies, so he's giving you milk. But when you mature, you're going to get meat. And if you keep giving a baby milk and you never switch to solid food, their growth will be stunted. They will not grow properly. How about this? A way to limit the production or the health of a tree is to keep replanting it. <laughs> it's proven that if you take a tree or a plant and you keep replanting it and replanting it and replanting it, it will stunt the growth and it will not produce fruit because the roots never get established. That's an uncomfortable one for us in the American church because we go, hey, I've got my freedom. I can go to church wherever I want. Can I just tell you right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk saying this. You don't get to choose where you go to church in this regard, not because some person has to tell you, but because God has ordained where, you're, where you need to be, the soil, the prescribed soil for you. And so many believers go to a church, and, and they get established a little bit, and they come in, and at first they're like, yeah, this place is good. Jim's like, hey, raise your hands if you feel like you're a part of the family, and you're like, yeah. And then the next week, the pastor gets up and says something that just ruffles your feathers a little bit. And you're like, uproot. I'm going somewhere else. I'm taking my tree and I'm planting it in another church because those people... Now listen, heresy, things that are unbiblical and unscriptural, bad soil. You do need to find a place. But you know that seed needs pressure? But man, the first time someone rubs me wrong, I'm like, I'm out of here. And God says, no, 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 no. I brought that person into your life for a reason. That that pressure will actually cause you to, to germinate and sprout and become what I'm calling you to be. Why Paul says, don't be easily offended. Makes sense, doesn't it? But man, we get so quick to go, oh, I'm going to go find a place where they're going to tell me what I want to hear. You're great. You're wonderful. No. 
Discipleship is about us being called out in a loving way and saying, you need to grow. And Paul says to them, you're a mere, like you're mere mortals, like you're mere men, mere mortals, like you're mere men. He calls them babies. It sounds kind of a little insulting, doesn't it? And, and that's what Paul means to say. He's calling them out. And if you're offended, well, deal with it. Because I don't want you to stay like babies. And I don't want you to just keep thinking that you're just men. You're eternal. So grow a little bit. And it's tough. It's a tough one to hear. But it's a necessary one if we're going to be rooted and established. Why? Because it's the tree that's planted. That sends its roots out. That gets established. That produces its fruit in season. Stunts the growth, and if it's done enough, it's transplanted enough, you know, eventually that tree will just die. There will be no fruit on its branches, and Scripture is clear, right? Jesus says the branch that doesn't produce fruit, what happens? It gets cut off. Well, but that church, those people, God's like, yeah, I know, and I'm working on them too. But be established, get established, get planted. And here's the coolest thing about apple trees. If you plant one apple seed and get one apple tree, you'll never get fruit. Apple trees have to be planted in pairs. They have to be planted. There has to be two. If there's not two apple trees, they will never pollinate and they will never produce fruit. I did not know that. How many of you are finding that out for the first time? I love that. God's like, hey, you need the body of Christ. You need to be planted by other trees. And that orchard, when it's growing, those trees affect each other and they're, they're pollinating each other and their roots are getting entangled with each other so they're strengthened from the root system up. Incredible harvest. Man, God is so good at painting pictures for us so we can understand. So what's the fruit that God's looking for? Is he looking for apples? No. <laughs> as good as they are. Galatians five sixteen. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, sinful, uh, the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. <laughs> Can I say that again? So that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Eternity. And they might make it in as through fire, but they will not have an inheritance. Getting to heaven is just a part of it. Having an inheritance is the bigger picture. By the way, he's writing this to the church, right? He's writing these words to the church. And he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God is wanting to produce a harvest of righteousness in your life that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you want to know what your calling is? Pursue this. Pursue that. It's not complicated. See, because a life that does not have love cannot produce fruit. A life of a believer who, who says, hey, I love Jesus, but there's no joy. I've met some of the most miserable Christians in my life. Well, it's just the way I am. No, it's not. It can't be. <laughs> Peace. That the, the life of the believer is supposed to be marked by an unnatural peace when the people around you are going, what is the deal with you? Either you're in denial or you know something I don't know. I know something you don't know. But you can know it too. Patience. (laughs) I don't even need to really address that one, do I? We get it. Kindness. Are you kind? On the 210? (laughs) At rush hour? And you're in a hurry because you slept too late and now you're late for work? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that's what I thought. Goodness, faithfulness, are you faithful? Are you faithful? When we apply faithfulness to like the big ticket items, are you faithful in the small things? Because the Bible says that's what matters. In fact, God says, I won't trust you with bigger things if you're not faithful with the small. Maybe you're one of those Christians that you're like, you know what, if the pastor would just, if he would just notice me more and give me a little bit more, are you faithful? Are you faithful? I I tell you, as a pastor, it's one of the first things I look at because I don't want to entrust something to you that will affect the rest of the body if I can't count on you. Are you faithful? Gentleness, again, well, I, just, I just call it like I see it. No, you're rude and arrogant. Stop it. Be gentle. In the same way that the God of the universe is gentle with you, what gives you the right to think that you can just slam people. I had a, a pastor friend of mine once, he says to me, Barry, you, you just, you love people and you'll sit with them. I would always have people in my office and it's just the way that the Lord, I'm empathetic and it's just the way he's wired me. He's like, but I'm, I'm that guy, like, people come into my office, and I just, like, drop the grenade and just kind of step back, and then let's pick up the pieces. And my heart broke. Because I'm like, yeah, the people that you talk to, I'm usually the one talking to them next, helping them pick up the pieces. Our offices were night, right next to each other, and I'm like, that's not okay. Now, there's times where you need to be stern and you need to be strong, But there's no excuse for beating people up. Because God doesn't do it to us. And self-control, favorite, right? That a believer is self-controlled. That the believer is self-controlled. 
that we're disciplined. And can I just tell you, that's an area that God's working on my life in. And I, I would guess it's an area that he's working on your life. See, because if you're not self-controlled, you will say yes to the things of the flesh. You'll say yes to the things of the flesh. God says, no, 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 say yes to the things of the Spirit. Why? Because we're supposed to produce fruit of the Spirit. Because you are Spirit. Because you are eternal. And the Bible says here in, in Galatians that we are supposed to keep in step with the Spirit. Can we stand this morning? We're supposed to keep in step with Spirit. I don't know where you're at and how this message intersects your life this morning. I imagine that there's something in this today that probably rubbed you, I would say the wrong way, but it probably was a little abrasive for you in a good way. We need it. Be established. The local church, you want to know what your calling is? Be established. Allow the people standing around you to help press on you and encourage you and bring life-giving nutrients into your life that will cause you to germinate and sprout and then become a little sapling and then become a tree and be a young tree that then starts producing fruit. God has this process marked out for you and he's committed to it. But you need to make sure that on your end that you get established. Trust the process that God has you in. Believe that he has something for you. Can, can I be as bold to say this? Go to church regularly. If, if my calling determines how I spend eternity and I discover my calling at church, at least it's a major component in that. And there's places where God will meet you in the word and there's other things. But for our purposes this morning, if those things are all tied together, then why on earth would we make church attendance on a Sunday morning a lower priority? And it's happened. Should I go to church or should I watch the game? Go to church. DVR the game. But the game will not affect your eternity. Well, I just feel like sleeping in this morning. No. Get out of bed. Be self-controlled. Get dressed and go to church. Why? Because, because it makes me feel good as a pastor? No. I could stay home and just preach to my family. There's other things I could be doing. But I know this, my calling is to be here. And then bring somebody with you. How oh, we got to go to the park last night and we met all kinds of people who don't know Jesus. We had new people move in next door. I met him yesterday. I won't say his name because I'm hoping he comes to visit the church. But he doesn't know Jesus. And it just took a few minutes talking. I didn't say, hey, do you know Jesus? Because that's just awkward and weird. But I could just tell the way he was speaking, the way he was 
living his life, I was like, okay, you probably don't know the Lord. And I'm, I walked away from that encounter over the fence, and here's what I started praying. Lord, I claim that soul for your kingdom. Lord, I, I envision the day where the testimony of that man's life is. I didn't know Jesus, and then I moved into, into this house next to these wacky people who just loved me, and you know what? Gave me some of this. And the next thing I know, I'm showing up at church on Christmas Day. Because you better believe I'm going to be inviting him. And the next thing I know, I'm saying yes to Jesus and my life hasn't been the same. I'm praying with that day in mind. I'm contending that that man will join me up here on this stage and share that testimony. Who are you praying for in that same way? God has good things, great things in store. He's planted seeds all throughout this community. Tend to the seed in your own life and then go find someone else. Amen. Father God, this morning, my prayer is this. Simply, Lord, that your word, by your spirit, would find its mark in our hearts. That every one of us needed to hear a different aspect and a different element of what you needed to share today. Find your mark. God, I pray that there would be a single, wouldn't be a single man, woman, boy, or girl who calls new community their home, who doesn't flourish. Lord, that we would be a church planted by rivers of living water. That we would become mighty trees that would produce fruit in season. In your name, amen.